Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Hey guys, as promised, today's episode is a bonus episode this week. Um, I had a beautiful conversation with Jen from Sleep Thrive Grow. Jen is a certified sleep infant consultant and mum of three. And in today's episode, we chat about everything regarding you and your baby's sleep. Now we go into regressions, co-sleeping, transitioning to a cot, nap schedules, and as I said, everything in between. So I'm really excited to hopefully give some of you sleep deprived mamas that I spoke to on Instagram earlier last week um, some support on your motherhood journey today now every week I send a Sunday evening email as a way to build more connection with my community in this space I've been sharing recipes workouts little love notes and also going to be sharing really soon a very exciting project that I've been working on it will be totally free and it will be coming to your inbox really really soon so I would love for you to join me here each week if you haven't already simply click the link in the show notes of this episode to join If you do enjoy today's conversation, please let me know by leaving a quick written review on the podcast app. This will really support me to support more sleep deprived mamas who need to hear conversations just like this one to feel less alone on their motherhood journey. All right, let's dive into today's episode with Jen. Jen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to finally have you here and connect in person, even though it's on Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm really wrapped to have this chat with you, as I was just saying. I feel like it's coming at a really, really good time. Um, I put a question box out on Instagram, as you know, and just asked my community of women and mums, what do they want to know about baby sleep? Because you are a sleep consultant. So I was inundated with all types of messages, a lot of them quite similar. But the main theme that I noticed was there's a lot of sleep deprived mamas in this space. So I'm really wrapped to be able to support them, I suppose, today with you. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm excited to answer questions. And it is such a massive area of mum life is sleep. And yeah, so if I can support anybody out there that needs some advice and maybe some reassurance or some guidance, then I'm all ears and all happy to give as much advice as possible. Amazing. Just before we dive into the questions that I've got for you today, Jen, can you share a little bit on you, just your story, where you're from, what brought you to your work, all the things? Yeah. Okay. So I'm Jen. I have been a registered nurse for 12 years now. Um, So that sort of got me into what that support side of things. I've always just had that um, really strong empathy and that caring nature to support people and to really, you know, I just pride myself on connecting with people on their sort of most vulnerable moments in life and finding where I can connect and can, can support them to just get through those tough times. So that's, you know, always been a big focus of for me with my nursing. And yeah, then I became a mum myself. And, you know, I realized that just, just having that empathy wasn't enough. And I really had a sort of lack of understanding in what my baby needed. And 
you know just being in that medical kind of professional field I just wanted to learn more like I love this I love the science I love all that type of stuff so I went and did my own research and really kind of got a well-rounded picture on what to expect when having a baby what things to look out for how can I start to really respect my baby but understand what he's maybe trying to tell me and things like that so I just sort of found my passion there and got really into it and you know just saw the change in him when I was being able to use it just helped sort of um shine a light on my intuition even more because I just had that knowledge behind as well and I just found that mixture of that knowledge and intuition just created a much calmer smoother household for me and I went on and did the same with my other two kids and every child's very different but I knew those basic foundations that I'd learned really supported my parenting journey and we all got sleep. So (laughs) that was where it all started. Mm -hmm. And then I just started helping friends and family, like anyone that sort of brought up something or they commented on my kids or what they were doing. And, you know, I was always happy to just say, oh, well, have you, you know, tried this or this really worked for me. And then, yeah, I thought, why not try and do this as an actual profession? Because if I'm helping these family and friends and it worked for me, surely I've got something to offer and can provide some support for some families out there. And that's what kind of led me on this journey. Yeah, amazing. As you know, Jesse and Lola, my two, have both been sleep trained and we were talking about this earlier. I, without having that and investing in that for myself and my family, my children, I was felt really broken. And I think a lot of yeah. them are feeling that they feel broken. Sleep deprivation does all sorts of things to you. But I, for me, it made me completely anxious and overwhelmed for nap times. I was feeling stressed out all day and t- totally tapped out, disconnected from my kids because I was, you know, having to sit there and rock or pat for hours on end. Jesse was a lot worse than Lola because he was my first, I suppose, and I was so inexperienced with sleep and nap times and things. And it was very confusing because he would, what I didn't understand is that something that you, I'm sure you'll talk about is that babies will promote um, adrenaline if they're overtired. Mm. I didn't know yeah. that because he'd go past his nap time and then he'd just be all crazy and wide. And I'm like, oh, he's not ready for a sleep. And that's a misconception, yeah. I think, for a lot of families. Um, and so we'd keep him up and not worry about it. And then that made going to bed that night so much harder. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that we'll talk about. But um, I know and can attest to sleep programming just being the greatest thing that anyone can ever do so for anyone listening highly highly recommend Um, it's an investment and it's just the best thing that you can do for your family and I think that's totally yeah I agree with everything you said and I think these like as modern mums we're often so much busier you know we're not mums 20 30 40 years ago which our main focus was just raising kids and that's all we needed to worry about in a day like we're often business owners we've got multiple children we've got like our to-do lists are just beyond (laughs) beyond like compared to compared to all those years ago and what happens with that is that sometimes we're not um, able to understand or recognize those signs or watch our children as much as say we could have done 20 30 years ago when we had nothing else sort of on our agenda and often signs are missed and if we're not sort of aware of those or don't have a basic knowledge around those signs or things that may help us in our modern day crazy life 
other than watching our child 24-7 for these signs, if we can just know a little bit of background, we can actually interpret what they're trying to tell us and, you know, get in there and have things happen earlier than rather than, like you say, getting to that point where you're having to rock for hours and hours or things like that. So it's just, you know, I think it's just knowledge is power, just knowing a little bit and you don't have to be an expert in it either. It's just some basic knowledge around it will really support some healthy sleep to happen in your household. Absolutely. And I mean, like with Jesse, I was a full regime type of mama. I needed structure and routine and I am that kind of person. Um, I still am like that a little bit in a way, I suppose, but I'm way more relaxed with Lola because I'm so comfortable uh, with yeah. my choices and my decisions. If I know that we're going to be out and about when it's midday and her nap time, I know she'll fall asleep in the car and I'll explain like we need to either get home early or, or we're just going to lose that big nap today. And you guys have to just understand I've got the baby and I can't be with my other th- three kids. I've got to, you know, work around that. So being able to trust my gut instinct with a lot of yes. these, these systems and practices, it's just a little bit of stuff I needed to know. And it's been so supportive on my motherhood experience. Yeah, just knowing where to compensate because it's not realistic to be in the house every single nap time and have everything, all the boxes ticked. But knowing that if you do sort of miss a lunchtime nap, how can I compensate? How can I sort of not basically turn everything into a shit show at night? And then I'm just like, ah. Mm. So it's kind of going, okay, she's only had, you know, she's only caught a 45 minute nap in the car. Look, I might just, she might fall asleep on the way home or maybe we'll just bring bedtime earlier because it's just been one of those days to just help get on top of things. So, and that's what I love. Um, with what I do is providing mums with the tools, their own individual toolbox. I assess what their lifestyle's like. I can give them tips and tricks to go, okay, you know, every Wednesday you're never going to be home for this nap because you just can't get out of it or whatever. So I'll give them ideas and things that they can try to help support sleep, but not completely just go off the rails and lose everything that they've worked so hard to help. So Mm, amazing. Get into the question. So today I thought that I would do things a little bit differently and not normally how I would structure an interview, but I'm going to do it like question and answer sort of thing. So I've got heaps here to go through. Um, So you just answer them and I'm sure I'll probably have a couple along the way. Um, So the first one is what are regressions and when can we expect them? And this is from a expecting mama. Okay. So sleep regressions are basically when there's a physical, cognitive or emotional change going on for your child and that can disrupt sleep for, you know, a few days. They don't have to be long and drawn out. They could be, you know, and some people never notice them. So it's one of those things like I have a love hate with talking about regressions because I think knowing when they occur, people often like fret about these regressions coming and they're like, oh my gosh, it must be this. It must be that. And then we stop using our intuition because we're concentrating so much on like it's the regression and, you know, panicking over it. Mm -hmm. The one main one that happens around that four month mark that's when there is a permanent change in sleep. So if you think about your baby's sleep, it before four months of age, they're generally going through phases of light and light and deep sleep. And that's the two phases. It's just light and deep sleep. You'll see they're like, you know, all those facial expressions and the fluttery eyelids and the smiles that's in their light stage of sleep. And then they will be completely zonked and then they'll go back to that light stage. And that's it. Like that's, that's your newborn sleep kind of cycle. When you hit 
um, around that four month mark. And again, it's not exactly bang on four months. It might happen a little bit later, a little bit earlier, but generally it falls around that sort of age. Your baby sleep cycle now has more like four stages to it. So because it has like four stages, it means there's more opportunities where they could wake up easier. So it's like when they, they have the light and deep, but they also have those transitioning phases, which, you know, if the environment may be not quite right or say, you know, there's light exposure when they're transitioning, they might just fully wake up when they're not completing a whole sleep cycle. So I think that's, you know, it's basically becomes more adult like and they're just more likely to wake up at more frequent times. So this is when, um, you know, the four month regression, it's really a positive step is to try and um, support your baby to be able to um, have some self settling, have some resettling skills of their own, like empowering them with those type of skills, because that will help them when they're going through these changes to be able to go oh, I'm awake, um, and then fall back to sleep again. Um, if they're sort of relying on a lot of our support, then they're going to really struggle during that sleep regression or progression where they suddenly become a bit more wakeful or not feel so completely tired that they're going to need and call out for that help and assistance to do that. So that's the main one. And then you have ones that like around eight to 10 months, you've got a 12 month, you've got an 18 month, you've got a two year regression. And these are, yeah, there's lots that you can put down to movement. So when they learn to stand or things like that. Um, but again, there's lots that we can't see. There's lots going on cognitively, emotionally. They're really becoming their own little people. Their minds are just they're little sponges absorbing everything. And sometimes when it comes to bedtime, their minds are still ticking over everything they've learned and it can disrupt sleep for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing you can do in a regression is still believe in your child. So if your child's been able to sleep before, a regression doesn't mean they, they suddenly stop learning how to drift off to sleep. So if we basically reinforce that when they're going through some sleep disruption and then we change up what we're doing and suddenly pull them out the cot and start feeding and rocking, they're basically going to go, oh, wow, I'm experiencing all these changes. And now mum's showing me that I, I need more support during this time. Whereas if we empower them and say, I know, you know, think in our heads, um, you know, and empathize with them like, oh, you know, I think there's lots going on cognitively for him right now. I'm just going to spend a bit more time, you know, settling him to sleep, being there for him, you know, potentially lying him back down if he stood up for the 15th time and just offer some support, but not completely change up everything you're doing just because it's, it's, um, yeah, just kind of not panicking in those moments, just go, no, he still knows that skill. He still is able to drift off to sleep. I'm just going to support him through that. Mm, that is an awesome answer to that question. <laughs> um, you just touched on four month old. Now that was another question that did come through. So I'll go into that now. So she's got a four month old bub and they're constantly waking through the night. Now it's just after that, what you call the fourth trimester, right? So it's sort of like, you know, they say you can't sleep train a baby before that 12 weeks. So it's got phasing into the next stage of their development, I guess. Yeah. So how can she introduce some ways that can help her baby self-settle and sleep through the night? What are some tips at that age? Because I know things might change slightly when they're a little bit older. 
Yeah, so like at that four month mark, it's kind of knowing roughly how long they can go between feeds. So basically, if you're seeing wake ups every two hours, you can be pretty 100% sure it's not due to hunger. Mm. So it's kind of going, okay, um, you know, bub during the day is like feeding every three, three and a half hours. So realistically, if they wake every two hours, likelihood of just keep feeding when that happens is probably going to create excessive wind, dis stomach discomforts and then you've in probably increased the chance of them waking more and more so it's it's going say you know okay they've they've woken two hours after I've just fed them I'm going to try and support them with a new way of falling back to sleep so this might be you know there's many different techniques that we can use none of them have to be this cried out that I don't even think really many sleep consultants even use that often anymore like if anything it's just some check-ins um You'd be surprised. I do did experience someone that um. Oh, okay. Maybe it's just me. It's not so. No, I I know a lot of you don't, but I did experience someone that was quite quite hard and very. Mm. Nope. Let him let him do it. Let him cry it out. He'll be fine. And I was like, oh, I'm not feeling this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I I tend not to. I think there's so much that can be put in place before that even needs to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just how I work personally but yeah so it's it's just basically going okay if if my child at four months only knows how to fall asleep on the boob that's what they're going to call out for and when they go through a regression or something like that um, something that's going to disrupt their sleep they're going to still need that boob no matter if they're not hungry to fall back to sleep again so it's 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 helping support new connections and it's not saying that that breast to sleep can be one of those connections but have another option you know be able to um, work on some settling without a feed and it's not going to be you know they're not going to say no worries mom I'm going to go to sleep now without a feed don't you know don't stress it's going to be very hard for change promotes discomfort as you know like even in life with anything anytime we step outside our comfort zone or make a change it feels uncomfortable for a short period of time but if we stay consistent and you know we end up giving our babies that confidence and empowerment that they can go back to sleep and it gets easier and easier. Mm. So it's just, yeah, through those constant wake ups going, okay, thinking in your head, yep, he's been fed. He's got a clean nappy. Everything's okay. He's just obviously waking and finding it difficult to transition. How can I support them to do that? And I'm going to try and not use a feed every single time that they wake. That I'm sure is really, really helpful. Thank you. Um, Now moving on to the next question. When Bub has been weaned from breastfeeding, then reintroduced during a sleep progression. So I believe this is just overnight feeds. Mm. Will this form a reliance again? And how can I avoid this? Potentially or potentially not. It really comes down to your baby's temperament. So some babies, as we know, they're all very different. So some babies you could do an extra feed through aggression and then they'll get over this kind of whatever was going on mentally, physically, cognitively and go back to their normal way. Or there's some babies will go, that was really nice. I'm, I might um, call out again now, like, and they might be over their little regression, what's gone on, but they'll go, no, I really liked it when mum came in and gave me that extra feed. So it's very temperament based as to, as to whether they're going to do it, carry on or not. I can't really say. Um, one years old, is there something that you could probably 
may even just to introduce in place of is it the dummy maybe or is it like a, a I probably wouldn't introduce a dummy at one if they haven't had one um I would if they haven't got like a comforter that's a nice um thing to transition so you know especially if you are breastfeeding frequently you know wearing it down your top having some of your scent on it also role play is really effective at one year old so you know showing them this comforter and saying like oh nanites you're going nanites show me how you give it a cuddle also mum and dad showing this comforter love like for a while and you know every time they wake up from a nap like give the comforter a cuddle as well so look like you're really loving this this object because they are looking at you for every bit of guidance in their life. And if you can show that you're, you think this thing is amazing, they're going to go, cool. Mum really loves this. Like I'm going to, I'm going to love this too. So trying to, you know, do this type of stuff is really helpful. Um, Basically it's just trying to hopefully strengthen some connections in falling to sleep without always having mum there. And sometimes a comfort object can really help that, you know, when they may be feeling like that they can't do it. And as they're, depending on how long it's been going on for as well, if it's just been always the way of falling asleep, it's going to take a bit of time for a one-year-old to feel um, confident with a new way of falling asleep. So comforters are great and again just being there for them you know if it's if they're so used to it you might just decide to lie next to the cot and tap the mattress and you know you might do some in the room room support because you go okay I'm, I've decided I'm gonna try and not feed because I know it's not due to hunger um, how can I just help him feel confident is in his own sleep space without using a feed mm. I like that. And it's interesting that you mentioned about the comforter and showing the comforter like affection. Lola, my daughter, as you know, is one and one month, I believe. And um, I think it is maybe two. Um, and we've got like dollies, like babies, um, that yeah. were sisters that she doesn't play with anymore. And Lola has been picking them up and giving kisses and like cuddling yeah. the baby. And it's like so interesting. We're like, where did she learn this? We haven't taught her or we have, don't do it to the dolls. Like Jessie doesn't play with them. And I'm yeah. like, I feel, I felt like it was because we do it to her and she's looking at it like it's her so it's interesting that you said that that's actually a thing yeah 100 and that's you know you could even say if you know for a nine month old you could leave the, your mobile phone next to them and you've never taught them to actively go this is how you use a phone and they could they all just pick it up and put it straight to their ear they're like watching everything we do so everything we you know if we want to try and support sleep role play is a really effective thing you know you can you can do that like little doll scenario and make you know have a little cot bed or if it's if it's a boy you make up and make up a little bed on the floor and just and role play the sleep you know role play going you know putting your your top toy into bed and then say no no I'm walking out and then turn the light on and say morning oh what a clever boy you're sleeping in your bed you know kids thrive on this stuff like it's it's a such a nice bonding thing for both of you and it's just that one-on-one connection and spending that time with them but it's also supporting a really like it's valuable for us long-term trying to support some healthy sleep too so mm, it's great cool that there too like Jessie's two and a half so completely different ages and I'm sure that some mums have, may have experienced this with their babies at daycare I didn't make the connection for the, the first couple of weeks but um when Jessie started his new daycare I thought he was having like uh, withdrawals like from me during the day because when I started putting him down and it's been like a year of simple put downs he's been really really good yeah. uh, and I just put him in the cot walk out turn off the light love you Jesse night night and he started saying like tapping next to the con saying no mommy sit mommy sit and I'm like 
what do you mean? I haven't sat for like a year. How do you remember this? Mm. And I realized at daycare when they put him down, because he's in the bathroom, they sit and they pat the cotton pad his bottom until he goes off. So I was like, oh, we're not doing this again, right? Like, you know, hours. Um, So yeah, it's interesting. I I forget those little things too, that they just pick up on so naturally and easily. Yeah. And that's it. And, but that's you, you know, again, those toddlers, that's that boundary testing age and you, you kind of, doing your healthy boundaries there. So what they do at daycare doesn't mean what happens at home. You know, if you haven't sat next to his cot for this long, he's been a nice, secure little sleeper for a long time. If you start changing up what you're doing, their toddlers are going to constantly look for where that boundary is going to end. So it might start with sitting next to your cot, then it might be a handhold, then it might be something else. So, if, you know, it's kind of being... Um, I don't know, just have, maintaining those boundaries t- for that secureness. So it's being, being knowing yourself that what you're doing and being a confident parent that, you know, you're, you know, that they're safe and you're not, um, you know, they're okay. They're just at this phase in their life. So really understanding where they're at in life and what they may need to support it rather than second guessing and going, Oh, maybe he's feeling like this. I need to go like, and sit next to him now because it's generally just going through that phase and being, being those firm, healthy boundaries um, benefits everyone with that secured attachment as well. Mm. Other than letting our babies cry it out, what are some options that are more soothing for them? And on that, how can we identify a discomfort cry to what you'd call a protest? So I think um, basically there's so many other options in ways other than cried out. And again, it's, it's trying to get as many ducks lined up in a row first before any settling method goes down. So it's really looking at so many areas of sleep, like looking at sleep pressure. Are they actually tired and ready for a sleep? You know, looking at that age requirements roughly that we can give us a guide on awake windows, things like that. So we know they're sort of within a sleep time that's appropriate for the age environment and things like that, um, making sure that they're not hungry. And then it comes down to picking a settling method that's age appropriate too. So it's kind of, you know, there's, there's many different ways. There's things like um, pick up, put down, there's things like gradual withdrawal, Um, there's lots of hybrid methods as well. So often when I work with families, we might say, okay, let's start with this method, include, include another little soothing tool to go alongside it. And then we might back off something and it's all basic, basically down to how your baby responds to it. And that gives me the tools to be able to guide and dictate the next couple of days. So it's not, I can't sort of like hand a sleep method out and say, yeah, just do that. But Um, knowing a bit more about a family situation, then I can guide them and say, okay, you know, I'm not going to suggest something that's automatically feeling uncomfortable to someone. So I'm going to try and meet them on their level to be able to do that. So um, yeah, that's that question. And the other question in regards to the different cries, um, that's really when we can start to listen to our baby and watch what they're doing. So, you know, again, that's when I love video cameras to be able to see. So For example, at a home visit I was at yesterday, um, we, you know, baby was self-settling at at six months old, but, you know, she was going like grizzle on and off. It took less than 10 minutes, but 
being able to watch her actions and she had like, you know, she was just moving in her cot, looking like she was transitioning to sleep. And that way you could say like you could put the sound of the cry or the sound of the grizzles because it wasn't really a cry and look at what she was doing. And she wasn't sort of sounding completely distressed and like calling out for mom it was just grizzling on and off like I'm you know I'm tired but where are you I don't know and then she went to sleep so it's it's really going okay are those cries getting more intense like are they actually getting more and more intense there's no real gaps in their crying it's just like wow 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 like I'm upset mm. or is it just like a big peaking cry for like 30 seconds and then they then they stop you know, and it's kind of recognizing that, okay, hang on, I'm just going to listen with intent. I'm going to go, I'm ready to go in if, if it ca- carries on increasing and those gaps just disappear and it's just a full on cry or are they just really trying to work this out for themselves? It's something new. Are they really trying to just process that I'm ready for sleep and get into that zone? Have they had a busy awake time and they're just really trying to let go of all that stimulation and just wind themselves down and that's when sometimes we can step in and interrupt this wind down that they're trying to do themselves just like we do when we go to sleep and we've had a crazy day we might wind down by reading a book or you know maybe we'll listen to a podcast or you know things like that whereas you know babies don't have those abilities so sometimes it means grizzling then they might start talking to themselves they might you know make these crazy different sounds and it's going okay they're they're calm they're safe they're well fed they're changed I'm going to just listen with intent and see if this progresses or whether they start to calm down and drift off yeah last night actually was probably the worst night we've had in with Lola for a really long time um you can probably tell I look quite tired today um I reckon I had under a four hours sleep which is just oh my god but like I'm sure other mums have had it worse I've had it worse my goodness that's nothing but yeah she just wouldn't go back to sleep and I was like my husband's like just grab her and put her in bed here and I'm like no because she'll think it's time to get up and no she's Mm. fine she's not hungry she's not well I checked she wasn't wet through I checked the cod I checked the room temp and like the white noise and I made sure all the lights were off and I'm like she is fine there's nothing wrong with her she's just protesting and I was really able to identify her cry being a protest whereas Jessie at this age I would have just gone straight in straight in, grabbed him, picked him up, gone back and forth. We were getting up 30 times a night. So, but I was just able to really trust my intuition with her and know that she was perfectly fine. And I think that's something that mums forget too, is to trust your gut. Are they, do you know confidently that they're in their environment, they're totally okay. And if you are in a position to now recognize the difference between a protest and a unsettled and uncomfortable cry, then they're protesting, you know, back yourself. It's that they're crying out for you. They can't speak. So they're just crying out for you. They, sometimes they just want to be held and there's nothing wrong with that. But what that does is stimulate them and then Mm -hmm. they're awake. Yeah. Or they can, you know, you walk in and a bit of light comes in the room or um, you're holding them and shushing them. And sometimes that can make them want to be awake then to be like, Oh, when they sit up and you know, all yeah. tidy. that's what she did. I ended up, this was like three hours in and I'm like, it's three 30 in the morning. I'm getting up in an hour. Like you need to go to sleep. Yeah. I'll bring her in here. And that was probably the silliest decision because she was like just up and chatty and laughing and all these things. And I was like, I just should listen to my gut. I didn't want to bring her in, but I did. So yeah. yeah. Um, but sometimes you need to make those. That's how we learn. Like we need to make mis. like, I wouldn't even call it a mistake, but do you know what I mean? You need to do things 
and then go, okay, the result was this Mm. and they still didn't sleep. So, okay, I can try, I can feel more confident trying another way next time. And that's, you know, again, with my support side of things, I I, I get that all the time and that's, it's very much like it's a learning thing and I'm able to guide them, but they'll, you know, I'll work with clients and they'll say, oh, I've, I fed them, but, and then they didn't go back to sleep. And I'll say, well, what, what do you reckon that's telling you? Do you think, um, you know, obviously it's a real, usually if it's a hunger sign with a feed you'll feed and then they'll be zonked and gone like if if they're not waking due to hunger and they're waking just because they're really struggling to transition back to sleep and you feed them and then pop them back down and they're still awake basically that feed hasn't helped at all like there's Mm. it's you're still in the same position so again it's like you know when you start to recognize and you've got someone overlooking and sometimes being that bit of guidance until you've got that confidence yourself then you can go okay yeah now I feel more confident tomorrow to go okay when she wakes at that time I've already fed her only two hours ago and it didn't help so I'm going to try a different approach this time and see if I can strengthen that way so it's definitely I feel if you don't make those little little blips along the way sometimes it can all backfire you almost need to try those ways and then go okay yeah this was the outcome yeah yeah someone's question was actually um, 12 months old and wanting to breastfeed quite constantly through the night and refuses a dummy how can I help support her to sleep through now that for me would, I guess in my head, I'm kind of like, well, because it's breastfed baby, how do you know how much milk they're getting? Could it be that they're not getting enough with that final feed? Is that probably like, is that what you would think as well? Yeah. So it's, so at 12 months, we can definitely say that we can support all their day, all their calories they need during the day. They don't need to eat around the clock 24 seven at 12 months of age as well. um, Solids are more nutritionally important to them. Now it's, that's where they're getting their main nutrients for growth, their iron stores, Um, too much milk at, at, Um, 12 months can actually deplete their iron stores and then that can cause disruptions overnight as well so solids are nutritionally more important so it's going you know but potentially there might be some calorie displacement that he's relying on or he or she are relying on more feeds overnight because they're not getting enough calories during the day so you're sort of in a bit of a cycle so to go completely cold turkey on breastfeeds overnight would be probably not not the way I would go but it would be kind of you know again using those time frames and being like okay I'm going to at least wait four hours or five hours before I offer a feed at this age um, and then trying to support another way but it sounds like his connection to sleep is mum and a sucking connection so a dummy there's it's it's mum and the sucking it's not not um just the sucking so a dummy isn't something that's going to support it it's about him feeling confident in going back to sleep without a feed and the only way that can be done is through some changes and through going okay no I'm going to you know and you can almost in the beginning do anything else to get them back to sleep if you wanted to just to move away from so many feeds and then that way then you can start just reducing how much intervention you're having to provide to get them back to sleep and that's just you know I'm working with a mum recently with a 22 month old that was feeding to sleep around the clock and now that's you know in less than a week that's not happening anymore um, so it's it's something that can be done, but sometimes it's can be really scary and really daunting. Mm. 
to do on your own and having someone to just overlook and just be like, okay, let's, where are you at? Where can we meet in the middle? Like, would you be happy holding off until this time? I'll give you some tools to get you there. Um, And then really slowly and working and seeing whether he develops some natural wake times. Cause at the moment it's probably every time he transitions through a sleep cycle, which can be every two to four hours overnight, he's needing that same response to get himself back to sleep. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you touched on there um, about the calorie intake through the day is primarily enough rather than the being breastfed. Is that the same for formula? Yeah, so it's it's basically there's a certain amount of milk um, recommended for each age range that promotes that they can still gain all those nutrients from their solids and not need as much. So it's just, it's a process that we go through as they grow at 12 months as well. There's, you know, often up until 12 months, there's lots of growth happening, lots of feeds, and then suddenly they hit 12 months and they can become quite fussy because their growth slows down dramatically. And then we sort of panic that they're not eating as much during the day, but actually they're just hitting a like little lull in, a, in the growth spurts. And then they'll pick up again as they get busier, but it's, it's um, one of those times where we can then go, oh, they must be hungry because they haven't really eaten during the day um, or something like that. But often their growth is just dramatically slowed down, but we feel we have to compensate. But, you know, nobody needs to eat 24-7, you know, so it's something that can definitely be moved away from and, you know, really, really supporting that solid intake with milk as a supplement during the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. How can we resettle when Bubs wakes for the day at 4am? Now this baby is six months old. Um, they have successfully cut night feeds and don't want to reintroduce and baby goes down at about 7.30. So I would be wanting to know how their sleep was during the day. Um, ultimately, you know, a good, a decent amount of day sleep is going to support a night sleep. So if we look at how if a baby goes down over tie, which I'm thinking at six months, 7.30, maybe a little bit kind of late for a baby of that age and potentially they're getting a little bit overtired at that point. And what overtiredness does is it re- our body releases cortisol. Like that's the first first long-term effect of overtiredness. And then you have adrenaline on top of that sometimes. Um, And basically, instead of going to sleep with, say, a baseline level of cortisol, that's really dropped from a a well-rested child. When it naturally starts to rise in the early hours of the morning, we all need cortisol to wake us up for the day, else we wouldn't wake up. So we need that cortisol to come on board and wake us up. But if you're already going to bed overtired, you've got some extra cortisol on board. And then by the time you're hitting 3, 4 a.m. in the morning, instead of that level being quite low, it's already, say, medium. And then you add you add your, your normal cortisol and it's so much easier to wake up and feel super awake at that time of the night. Mm-hmm. So it can make it really hard to settle back to sleep. So I would be wondering whether the wake up at that time is a you know, has an, basically is down to maybe day sleep, a little bit of an imbalance there. So that's the first question I'll be looking at is how much day sleep. And what should a nap schedule look like for a six month old during the day? So you kind of day, day sleep, you basically want about two and a half to three hours of day sleep for a six month old during the day. That broken up. So morning, yeah. afternoon, so, one. 
No, so two and, a, two and a half to three hours over potentially three naps. Some babies might be doing two at six months um, or getting close to transitioning to just two naps. Um, but yeah, you're sort of looking at around two and a half hours maximum awake time and trying to, you know, to stop the early wake-ups it's one of those things that we can try and get the nap closer to starting a little bit later in the day. If we're always compensating, if they're waking up super early and we always keep bringing the first nap forward, we're basically without really knowingly, but we're like sort of supporting their body clock to wake up earlier and earlier. So it's about trying our best to ride some days of overtiredness to keep that morning nap happening a bit like later in the morning. So we're not sort of having it at 8am, like we're trying to get it closer to say nine. Um, And that in turn will support those early wake ups as well to sort of dissipate. So it's definitely a bit of um, playing around with nap times. That's going to really help. And yeah, making sure that they're actually getting a, enough day sleep. So if they're only having, you know, like two hours of day sleep, there's potentially overtiredness going on, which is going to impact that early rising as well. Can we encourage their baby to take a third nap if they've dropped that afternoon nap or they're pushing back on an afternoon nap? Or is there, are they at an age where you just say, okay, well, they've made that decision and roll with it? De- it. Yeah, it depends when the second nap is finished. So if it finished really, like, really early, pardon? 2.30? Two, uh, you could maybe get, like, I would see that third nap from around six months as just to take the edge off. So I almost don't even class it as a nap as such. Like I would be looking at it to to be anywhere, no more than half an hour, maybe even sitting around 20 minutes at that age. Um, But you can't force it on them if they won't have it. Mm. It's a really hard nap to have because there's no natural window created there. So where we have like, um, our hormones are obviously going at different um, levels during the day. So we'll have a rise in melatonin and a drop in cortisol, say around that lunchtime. So it's easier to fall asleep then. At the end of the day, there's none of those, none of those hormones supporting a nap, but often they still need one. So it's a really good one to just have on the go. Like maybe if they won't actually nap in their cot, which some babies really start to refuse from about six months of age at for that third nap of the day, it might be like, oh, I'm just going to stick him in the pram. Maybe Maybe he'll just doze off for a little bit or maybe the carrier or maybe the car yeah. um, just going, okay, they're really not going to be able to tolerate being awake from two to falling asleep at seven. It might just be really pushing them. Let's see if they'll take a little nap. Mm. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. I remember, I remember these with Lola and Jesse and the afternoon naps was often in, on the school run yeah. uh, or 15 minute sort of thing. And that's then it. have one from like 1130 to 1230. And then there was a morning one on the school run again, she'd fall asleep in the car and Jesse used to do the same thing. But then yeah. days because um, I don't have my stepdaughters all the time, it's hard one week on one week off so then on the weeks that we don't didn't have them for both the babies when I wouldn't be doing these drop-offs then they wouldn't be getting that sleep in the car and they'd be just absolutely feral by night time I didn't recognize it at the time but now you know you've said that it makes a lot of sense yeah and our body clock really does develop those patterns and habits and it does work best on regularity and even you know like even the days where like we may have a lunch date booked for example say if we roughly always have our lunch at like 12 p.m 
um, you know, we have a lunch booked and it's at like 1.30, I can guarantee we're all going to start to feel hungry at 12 um, because your body clock just those, that's like a body clock cue and it's just those similar times and it just all becomes a little bit of a pattern. And we are, you know, as much as people hate the word routine, humans are creatures of habit and we do like even if we're not really thinking we're routine people there's so many things we do in the same order every single day like when we get up and we brush our teeth and have a shower like we can really we can really kind of go against that word but I think sometimes accepting that actually that's how you know our bodies actually respond really well Mm, absolutely now moving on to my next question do you have any tips on transitioning from co-sleeping to a cot I feel like I'll be able to draw on my experience here a little bit because we've co-slept with both kids and the only reason I'm not still co-sleeping with Jesse is because I had Lola (laughs) the poor dude yeah well how did you how did you transition because it's very I think it's very age and stage appropriate like difference differences there um yeah how did you find it with Jesse so I was quite heavily pregnant I was about eight months maybe seven and a half and I started the process on my own I wanted to just try it on my own and I would lay with him in my bed and then transfer him into the cot um, and obviously that didn't work because on his first sleep cycle he'd wake up mom's not there yeah. Yeah. yeah and so with that came you know the 30 wake-ups every night pick up put down pick up put down mm-hmm. sit next to the cot pat 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 or you know just so he knew I was there um, and he was just hysterical the in every night and it was went on for a couple of weeks and I was so sleep deprived I just thought I was not in a good way, very broken. Um, And then we introduced um, a sleep consultant and made some drastic changes. One being, um, which I think that you might talk about with the next question, but one being white noise, two being Mm. blacking out the room. um, That was just firstly a massive help for the daytime because of the external noises that were going on. We live in quite a busy street. Um, Yeah. Allowed his day naps to be from, they were lasting sometimes 30 minutes. And I'm like, this kid hasn't slept all night and he's having 30 minutes in the day. Like I'm dying. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that was really hard. And that transition. And I didn't have any tips then to sort of go with. I just went with what I knew Um, Mm. with Lola. I've slowly, could like transition her out from our bed to her cot and I think the main thing and the biggest lesson I had with Lola is the protest knowing what's a cry what's a discomfort cry what's a protest um is she safe and is she happy like you know healthy and there's nothing wrong with her then I keep the door shut and not go in if there's something wrong with her she's wet through she's hungry whatever that's when I I I enter and I stay in the room um and support her but other than that my personal biggest lesson has been just to trust my gut and if she's protesting let her protest and let her know that she doesn't need you know she's not going to get me to pick her up and sit with her until she goes back off yeah sort of something she needed to learn um because I wanted my bed back (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's, you know, definitely a few ways to look at it. And it comes down to the individual and also, you know, like depending on what age and what age this child is that's being mentioned, um, you know, there's also peaks in separation anxiety as well. And some kids cope with separation better than others. And it's also recognizing that. So are they like, if they're super clingy during the day or things like that, you, you know, and they're really, really solely attached to you, then, you know, um, you may find sort of like not going in just completely, just it won't be aligned with anyone. So it might be that stage. It might be like, okay, I'm making this decision to stop co-sleeping. I'm really ready for this to happen but how can I make this easier? You might spend a lot more time in the room that they're sleeping in, talk about 
you know, talk to them. And I think sometimes we can forget this as parents because we think they don't understand everything, but talking through like, oh, this is your cot. Like what a great bed you have. Like, you know, just getting down to their communication level and, you know, discussing like, this is where you're going to sleep now. So from tonight and explain the change. So you've already, you know, and they may not get every single word that you're saying, but, you know, talking through is a really good thing with your child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might say, mommy's going to sleep next to the cot for the first couple of nights. And then I'm going to, you know, go back to my bed and I'm right down the hallway. Like, so it just really, again, depends on the age. Obviously this is like, a toddler you'll be able to communicate this a lot easier Mm -hmm. um so you know with the younger bubs they're not going to understand so much but you may still feel more comfortable being next to the cop for a couple of nights and then go yep I'm ready to back off now I'm going to take the mattress out um if they call for me I'm going to return and just support them now they've had two nights in there with me next to them um you know and kind of back out gradually so there's definitely again, it's just working with what everyone's comfortable with. And, you know, it's, there's not a one size fits all. So there's so many approaches we can do to, you know, look at transitioning. And it also depends if, you know, are they co-sleeping and feeding throughout the night as well? Cause then we can look at maybe reducing those feeds first up before doing the transition to the cot. So yeah, really, really definitely um, one to get advice on, I feel, um, in that sense, because it can be quite a hard transition. So something to really talk to someone about would be a good idea. Yeah, that's really helpful. Now, just going into what I sort of touched on there at the start, what are some environmental factors to support these transitions? Yeah, so definitely, like you say, white noise is great. And if you haven't got a baby that has developed or got any any connections with their own way of falling asleep, um, no matter what age, I'm all for white noise to just help that. Um, it can really just make it an easier process. Just give them something to distract them and just also help them transition between sleep cycles as well. Sometimes, you know, when you wake up and like you say, how um, you put them in the cot and then they realize you weren't there again. So it's like having that similar sound when they wake up, it's like that can help them transition into the next sleep cycle. Um, A darkened room, definitely. Um, Again, if you're having like cat nappers, normally with naps, like with my kids, I probably had it, you know, maybe 80% darkness to the rest of the night. But with cat nappers, I'm like, just make it as dark as you can day and night to just really help support a transition. Um, Temperature, you know, we do generally as humans sleep better on the cooler side of things. So this is, you know, the science is there to support, you know, anything around 18 to 22 degrees. But, you know, they say like around 19 degrees is sort of optimal sleeping temperature for us and often when we're too hot we get more fussy and you know kick off the covers back on again whatever but um, no no sorry um one thing I do want to mention is the sleeping bags for the babies mm-hmm. that's one thing that I introduced with Jesse as an environmental like an extra thing yes and I noticed because that temperature how the house sorry the temperature of the home drops around 3 a.m yeah well 2 a.m 3 a.m and I've noticed the nights when I even in summer have put him down not in it thinking oh it's too hot even though I've got the air on it's too hot he'll get too hot and he will wake without a 
doubt in the world he yeah. won't time because he's cold and he doesn't put the blanket back on so that's not even negotiable with Lola but that was a massive one for me um because that's not something the information I had before I had kids I had no idea yeah know? sleeping bags are great like you say yeah. for that temperature regulation they're also that sleep cue as well so it's like another another um independent association that they can they can associate with sleep like okay I get my sleeping bag on they almost instantly start going okay I'm like getting ready for sleep now Um, and also at that 3am mark not the external temperature drops but so does your internal body temperature as well so it's it's a drop in both places so if they're not warm enough um, yeah that like you say it's enough to promote a wake up at that time and it can and it can be purely just due to temperature so I definitely advise having a look like think like sites like ergo pouch that actually sell sleeping bags most of them have a little temperature um, chart that you can look at and go okay you need a singlet a onesie and this size sleeping bag for a room temperature of this amount so um, you know it's not saying you know, even though that 18 to 22 degrees is optimal, it's not saying you can't sleep outside of that range, but try and just dress them appropriately, dress them for the kind of coolest part of the night um, to really support and reduce any wake-ups due to a temperature change. Mm, Cool. That's helpful. Anything else with the environmental factors that you can think of? Um, So again, like our body clock's regulated by food, light, social interaction. So again, that blackout, making sure it's not becoming lighter at that 5am in, you know, in the day, especially in summer, winter's not usually as bad. Um, But yeah, and then food, are are they just waking habitually for a food, like for a feed at the same time every single night? Is it, is it that they actually need it or they're using it at that time? Um, again, social interaction with us. So I often say like in the morning, especially if they're awake, it's too early, but they're quiet and content in their bed. You know, some parents will rush in and be like, oh, I just want to try and get them to have some more sleep and go and see them and do that. But often nine times out of 10, it doesn't support a resettle. You're almost better off if they are calm and content, leaving them to it, you know, again, um, having that white noise on, having that all that those environmental cues, basically telling their body clock it's not time to wake up. Mm. Um, you're better off keeping out of that room. Um, and again, being aware of any external noises, like you mentioned, like does a rubbish truck come by at some time in the morning or does that does old mate down the road start his car up at like 4am, you know, like it's kind of going, how can I block that out? And some people might turn up the white noise in that for the early hours. So it might be at a lower um, range during the night. And then, you know, they just go, oh, they go off to the toilet, you know, in the morning, and then they'll be like, oh, I'm just going to quickly turn their white noise up because, you know, they're hopefully going to sleep a little bit longer then. Mm. And, and a tip on white noise, it should be as loud as a running shower next to their bed too. And don't be afraid of that, um, that loudness. Like people would often come into our house and be shocked at how loud, or I've got the white noise when the babies are asleep. And I'm like, it keeps them asleep. That's just, just what I do. Um, and it works yeah. well. Like Lola's, I'm at, sorry, Lola's bedroom is at the front of the house where I shut the front door and it's locked in the morning. So it's actually quite a big bang when I go to the gym at 10 to five Yeah, and it used to wake her, but I wasn't turning the white noise up loud enough. And now it's at full board. She never hears it. So it just blocks yeah. out everything as well. Like they're, like they're, sisters in the um, daytime when they're sleeping during the day, white noise is the bomb.com. Oh, it is. And I think it's, it's one of those tools, like there's, you know, I hear some 
some people say like, oh, you know, your baby doesn't need white noise and doesn't need this. Like, hey, as modern parents, we're going to use all what we can give that support sleep. And for me, I'm like, what's wrong with having some tools for healthy sleep that supports that and makes it makes it um, a lot easier to achieve. And then, you know, it's white noise doesn't have to stay around forever. You know, you can wean it off at any time once your child starts feel like you know, sleeping a lot better and they've got some um, independent connections with sleep, you might say, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to move away from the white noise now. You don't have, you've got, you would have had so many other connections developed then. You would have had probably still keeping the sleeping bag, the dark room, and you can be like, I'm just going to wean this off gradually reduce the noise until it's gone. Um, So it's, you know, they're tools that can really support us um, and, but they don't have to stay around forever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jen, that is all the questions that we had today. So thank you so so much for all of your time and for answering all of these. It's been lovely chatting with you. And I know that it will have brought so much support to so many sleep deprived mamas that have asked these questions. So I'm excited to hear how they go with them. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoy talking sleep as you can probably (laughs) tell. So no, I could talk about it all day. So I really do, do hope it helps. Um, and yeah, if they, if anybody has any, you know, if I've answered their question or, you know, you've got a question additionally to what I've answered, please, um, hit me up and I will answer that for you as well. I'll absolutely put all of your details in the show notes of the episode. So anyone that's got questions, feel free to shoot them through to Jen and she'll help you out. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.